Hi everyone, welcome back to In The Weeds Podcast 2021, we're in season 3, hope you guys are all well, feeling a little bit better with some sort of roadmap out of this horrific situation we're in. And this week I want to mix it up a little bit, I like to talk to people from different industries and the different insights that this has affected everyone differently and I think it's important to see that. And this week I'm talking with Chanel Creswell multi-talented BAFTA award-winning actress from This Is England, Trolleyed and The Bay, amongst some other fantastic shows. So yeah, it's tough for everyone right now and we get an insight into the art industry, seeing that we're filming, how this has really affected their industry and, and the job follow-on. So we also get a, a personal insight into Chanel's story about that. So thanks for listening again, guys, as always, and stay safe out there. Hi everybody and welcome back to In The Weeds, it's episode four and I'm joined by Chanel Creswell, BAFTA award winning actress <laughs> um, and obviously from This Is England fame. Thanks for joining us today, how are you? Yeah, not bad, Groundhog Day again. <laughs> at least, yeah, at least the sun's out I suppose. And you have a lot better backdrop than I do. You I look really intellectual with, is that like a Mac in the corner, a few cacti? Lovely book counter, and I literally just have a mirror. Yeah, I, I just, I always sit here. Someone thought it was fake, actually. Thought I'd, like, photographed it from somewhere, but it is real. <laughs> Business idea, isn't it? Yeah. Themed uh, themed um, backdrops for Zoom calls, so, you know, you can be anywhere and look like you do everything. I'm sure that's a thing already, no? <laughs> so, I was, I, I was saying before, obviously, these, the podcast is aimed a lot of hospitality, but I was really keen to get in this series to get a, an insight into other industries. I don't really like going on about COVID too much in them, but how, how has the art industry been affected? When it first started, it didn't really seem real to me, so I didn't take it. I still did the whole lockdown, you know, I took that seriously, but I just thought we'll be back to normal before you know it. And I think a lot of my friends did. Not in a million years did we think later on that shoots would be shut down. Um, we'd all literally be sitting around. I mean, it's hard for everybody. So I, I do feel like I am quite lucky. But in terms of the industry, yeah, it just absolutely shut down. I mean, even people that are working say it's a completely different atmosphere on set. Like, you know, when you want to get to know people and you're working really closely with them, you know, that's all been taken away. There's people are social distance filming or some people are having to self-isolate and totally be away from their families in order to film closely with people. It's it's all changed. Even, um, I mean, now we've been about a year, I think, since I've, um, not worked in terms of acting now we're starting to get like self-tapes come through and even that's different because you're not hearing back or anything like that so that's a bit of a stab to the heart because you know when you when you've got the opportunity to start acting again and then you send you know you do these self-tapes you're putting everything in it because you're so excited to act again and then obviously everyone's just so busy and things aren't certain so it is it's massive shock to our industry yeah I can feel it there's surely going to be a boom in filming after it. Yeah, somebody said that to me. I think that's why um, self-tapes have been coming in quite thick and fast just recently, um, which is nice because you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, hoping that we'll, fingers crossed, work this year and it just get back to normal a tiny bit. But I guess it depends on all the vaccinations and things like that. So did you always want to become an actress? Is that from when you were young or is it something you fell into? No. <laughs> I don't think I'd really thought about it, to be honest. And 
I don't know why. I think I did a school play and just everyone was like, said to my mum, like, you know, you should get her acting. And they kept going up to her and saying so. Then my mum found the workshop. But as I've got older, I think what happened was she had four children. And I think with the with the with three of them, she was like, Yeah, let's give them a real life. Let's let's see how far. But let's just let's use this one. And let's just see if we can push it towards something else and just try a look with that one and hopefully she'll make something of it. I think that's what happened. She was bored with the other three, so she thought, let's have fun with this one. So, yeah, my, it was my mum that kind of... She didn't push me into it. She just took me to, like, um, the television workshop in Nottingham and you had to audition a couple of times, so I did. Yeah, then it just kind of... I just fell in love with it from there, really. I was about 11, I think. What was your first role? Um, no, I remember. It was so embarrassing. In fact, no one even knows it's me. There was a kids' programme called Dangerville. Right. And it was, it was like Big Brother, but for kids. And then, like, there'd be, like, alien invasions and um, they got locked in a house and they had to try and find, like, had to get themselves out. So I auditioned to be one of the main cast. And I didn't get it. And so for a sorry, to say sorry, you know, because I did get quite far in the audition process. So to say sorry... They gave me the role of an alien, right? I had to, to crouch in this shell. I had to wear like Wellington boots with these big spikes hanging off it. So I kept falling over and no one could even see my face. So that was my consultation prize. I was an alien entrapped in this little bubble that no one could even see my face. So that was my first role. All right. But I was, I was the lead alien, but no one knew it was me in there. So there was no point in that really. Well, yeah, well, you were there. You were, it was you. And I'm here to tell the story. That's, that's great. <laughs> so obviously you've moved... It's not, it's not great at all. It's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish is what it is. <laughs> anyway. You're probably best known for the This Is England role. How many, it's like 50 something episodes of that as well, as well as the film. Yeah, so we did 86, which was um, six episodes. Then we did 88, which was which was a Christmas special. That was four episodes. And then we did 90, which was four, I think, again. I'm not sure. So, yeah, and the film. How did you get that role? It was at the television workshop, and we got told that Shane Meadows was coming down, and he was obviously quite a big deal in terms of our acting group because he gave us all a really good opportunity to start our career. So everyone was like, oh, Shane Meadows is coming down. And I just remember walking down and everybody was there, every age bracket, every group. So there was like a Tuesday, Thursday group, which I was in, and a Wednesday, Wednesday, Saturday group, I think. And so, and then there was like older, um, the over 20s or whatever it was. And everybody was down there. And I just literally looked at this sea of people and was like, unless I took all my clothes off and streaked through this audition, is he ever going to notice me whatsoever? Because it's just impossible. So we all had to sit in this huge circle. And I remember I had a friend that I used to go to school with. We were best friends, Danielle Watson, who ends up playing Trev. And because we were really close friends, we sat on each other's knees and we were just inseparable. And I think he saw that friendship. And also, I think I looked quite similar to Vicky McClure as well at the time. So, yeah, I think... He and then all of a sudden, Ian Smith, the... Um, the workshop leader came over to me and was like you know you've got a recall they want you to go over to the recall whatever and that was that was it really but then I read in it I read in an interview that Shane Meadow was looking at me for another part in um, another film we'd done previous but I was too young so it's a good job I didn't start taking my clothes off to run through the audition room. (laughs) 
was the plans to do series before it, or did they wait? Did they wait on the success of the film? There was no no indication that there was a series at all. It was just going to be a film, and that was it. I mean, we was fifteen when we did the film, right. and then must have been like early twenties. I would be in my early twenties when we did the series. So, not one motive to do a series after at all. No. So that was a shot when that phone call came through. Yeah, is the, is the plan to do any more on it? I, I'm going to say yes, just because I'm thinking if I put it out there, it will happen. But not we've not had a green light or it's all just like whisk, Chinese whispers at the minute between all the cast members. We're like, why don't we start trying to pressure Shane to try and start writing or, you know, like so start gagging or funny and see if we can create some pressure. But um, no, we did say that never say never. So we'll see, I guess. It'd be exciting if we all got together again. Yeah. What did, did you learn a lot from it? Because obviously it goes through a lot of like history of, you know, a lot of problems in England and stuff like that. Did you, did you learn much through that of like the history and issues? Did you realise it was like that or? Yeah, it was. I, I, didn't, I loved history at school, but they never taught us about the Falklands or things that happened in Britain. It was all about Henry VIII and things like that that are great but I never knew my like history that was close to me it was always like back in you know about things that had happened so far away so even like the Falklands War like when I did the film my uncle my two uncles were in the navy and they were on some quite significant ships and stuff and so they started to tell me about their experiences and um just about Maggie Thatcher and you know yeah all the history that came with that I never really knew I mean, I was only 15 when I did the film, so it was quite eye-opening, yeah, to see all the struggles, how many people had nothing and really relied on communities to help get them by through those times, which I, I kind of miss that sort of thing now because it doesn't seem to exist. Yeah. Do you not think it's still there now? I, I just I don't know whether, like, this pandemic kind of highlighted the still issues, like... I was in lockdown with my parents and we're quite closed off from ev- everything, so I never saw... I never saw everybody clapping. I could hear it when I went outside to do it, but I couldn't see it. Or like neighbours all like getting out in the streets and having social distance drinks and stuff. Like a lot of my friends used to send me photos and they would all be on their front gardens, like from away from each other. But it seemed nice that everyone kind of, you know, when it happened, like the, when everyone had to go into lockdown, like there was a lot of people that was there for each other mentally. But I didn't see that really because I lived a bit out the way. I missed that bit of it all, like all the camaraderie of all the, you know, everyone on the street getting together and keeping spirits alive or helping each other in one way or another. But yeah, it's not like the olden days, I don't think. From what from what my like grandma and my great aunt Una like used to explain to me, like everyone used to leave their doors open, anyone was allowed in and that all that sort of thing. I just don't that's obviously not a thing anymore. Yeah. Just back to Shane Meadows a minute. It's uh, Dead Man's Shoes. Years ago, I watched that just like by chance, and it still sticks with me now. It's an unbelievable film. How how is he to work with? You know what? I've been asked this so many times, and every time I I should think of a really good answer because he really deserves one. But <laughs> I, I don't I don't have the words. Like I don't know. Certain people have it. Like when they can look at you and talk to you. Say say if we're about to do like a really hard hitting scene. And he can just come over and just say a few words and just look at you. And then all of a sudden you're just transported into this like other place where you just think about something and all of a sudden everything that he's asked of you within that scene that you was panicking about doing just comes flooding in and you've got it. 
because I remember when I read the script for 90, I, I rang Vicky and I was like, oh gosh, I've just read the script. Like there's a lot riding on this to follow from the performance of you and Stephen. And now it feels like I've got a bit of, you know, I've got this great storyline. And she was like, the, the first thing that she said to me was just don't worry. Sh- you've got Shane and that's all you need. And she was so right. Oh. Um, I didn't believe her at the time. So no, it's all on me. Like, but, He's just he's just so open to interpretation and yeah he, he, and he goes he goes through it with you you're not on your own in front of the cameras just being left you know he supports you all the way through he's there he's there with you doing it with it with a big arm around you and um, that's what you need especially with, with um, the the issues that we uh, talk about or film yeah do you personally have a specific role that you you have a favourite role that you've done. I, I do like Ke- Kelly from this. Obviously, this is England. It's weird because out of all the characters I can talk about, but with that one, it Kelly came from a place. I mean, I, I remember being fifteen. I wasn't a very happy fifteen-year-old. You know, there was a lot of issues I had. I was very angry at the time. Things, you know, things in my life that I didn't see that was normal, and I was watching everybody else's, and they were having normal upbringings. You know, really happy things around them, and I just felt like I wasn't having that. So even though I didn't probably speak much in the film and then 86, I was a little bit there. I kind of was gearing up for Kelly to do something like 90, where she goes through all the turmoil. So she holds a real special place in my heart that seems really real. Like she seems the younger version of me still. And then all the other characters, you know, that I've played, like Trollid, I did try, that's where I know obviously Carl. That's a, that was a fun, that was a release. I'd literally just got that part after after This Is England. So I've gone straight from doing like this strong emotional performance with This Is England and going straight onto a, a comedy set. And that was so different. Um, I felt like I could let my hair down and have a bit of a laugh with everybody, which we do on This Is England, but you kind of have to rein it in because you've got scenes to do the next day that you, you know you care about. So with Trollid, it just felt like, God, we can actually, be, I can be funny now. Um, so that was a nice one, um, but all my characters I, I enjoy playing. Do you like do you like the comic side of it? I do, but it's weird because when I watch comedy like Mark ID, like Carl Rice, Beverly Rudd, and um, when they all get together and they have to do like comedic scenes, I feel like it looks harder because the timing has to be right, the delivery has to be right. You both have to have patter between you where the joke comes off, and that when I watch it is insane. I think that's really clever. Yeah, maybe that's what Carl's practicing on his voice notes. Do you think he'd like yeah. to work on that? Oh, yeah, I bet he is. That's why he's so good at comedy. He's just We're all his guinea pigs for his voice notes and his comic timing. <laughs> cool. So you, if anyone was starting out now acting, what, would, what advice would you give them? Don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, if I'm being totally real, like, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, do this, be yourself, all things like that. That is common sense anyway of course be yourself I used to try and like not be myself I don't know why I don't know if it's because I wasn't comfortable with who I was or I didn't know quite who I was I don't know what it was but yeah be yourself obviously you kind of have to have quite a thick skin because 90% of the time all this effort that you put into your um, self-tapes or auditions or whatever you know you don't always get the part and that is part and parcel of it unless your name is like Enzin De Niro or DiCaprio then you're probably all right. So I might change my name to De Cresswell, see if it's that effect that works. Nice, I like that. Hasn't got a ring though, has it? (laughs) Next question. (laughs) No, you don't need it in there. You don't need it. 
now stick to Chanel Cresswell then but yeah I think yeah I think it's just have a bit of a thick skin and enjoy it you know these these characters that you get given they're brilliant to play um so just always enjoy it and um yeah Mitch also as well when I was younger and I was um on sets I always watched a lot you know like your peers like obviously um Stephen Graham he was always amazing to watch you know I was a huge fan of Snatch and then he walks in to the when we'd all got our recall and Stephen Graham walks in and me and my friend was just like yeah so basically one of the other things if you start an in the industry is when you do get a job just look very closely at you know your peers like Stephen Graham was amazing to watch how he worked Johnny Harris same again I got to grow up watching Vicky even people on Trolley like Mark Caddy Jane Horrocks Jason Watkins all incredible people to work with and then I did Dracula um, last year and even just to see like Clace Bang and um, people like that, really, that you just watch. I think that's quite incredible. Stephen Graham's a great actor. I think it is even if it's not you that you'd act. I, I swear he's a Cockney as well. He swear he's from London. <laughs> that's it. No one knows he's oh, a sculptor. <laughs> yeah, Everyone, all, everybody always asks me about Stephen Graham. What about him? Everyone just always asks me about him. And it's like, it's weird because I've known him for so long now. It's like, it's like if somebody said, if somebody came and asked me about like my mom or my sister, I'm like, yeah, he's great. Like once though, I told somebody, I was like, oh God, no. And they were like, their heart like broke. They were like, really? I was like, honestly, he's a, he's a massive dick. Like, yeah, we had, we struggled with him. I just thought I'd see what people's reaction was. And like, literally her heart broke into, I was like, no, I'm only kidding. He's lovely. I was like, no, he's the best person in the world. But yeah, I get asked, I get asked that a lot. Yeah. And Shane Meadows. Yeah. You know, you were saying that, like, lack of, when you were y- younger, you kind of had a lack of confidence now or, or nervous. Do you still get that now or you've, you're over it? Oh, yes. I still have it now. I hate it. Yeah. I, I don't know what, why. I feel like I've done enough to kind of go, oh, you know, you're all right at this. Don't worry about it. But I think it's just something that when, when it's integrated, in, as long as it has been or it's been there, it's hard to kind of shake off. But, yeah. Like, a few years ago, I joined, like, a drama school in Liverpool. And because uh, I'd always wanted to try it, but I was always just too nervous to do it. And then it couldn't even bring myself to go. So eventually when I went, I only went, I went for a couple of years, but I even found that it helped me just to come out my shell a little bit, even in, in, in life, because putting myself in this situation, it was very theatre led, which I didn't really take to, but it was um, putting myself in them situations. I found that it helped me later on you know now now I'd do it again without where I was the first time I did it I was I nearly fainted that is a really strange thing because I've nearly felt like I was in a quite a big audition and I thought everything just started I've I've never fainted oh I did once in Vegas but that's a whole other story um that's not for this (laughs) this chat um no, that literally was just because I was overly tired and dehydrated yeah like there's this all this this massive huge fear that just comes over me and it's just incontrollable like I can like start shaking I'm just I can't control it like people are like deep breathe I'm like what is that gonna do I can sit here and breathe as many deep breaths as you say but this is not shifting anytime soon I just have to kind of ride it but yeah it's a, it's a strange feeling that that something's that distressing and winding you up that much in your head that your body just like immobilizes and I still haven't mastered it it's it's around what do you, do you think it's because it it comes back from like stuff for when you're younger I don't know because like 
you know, you worry too much about what people maybe think about you in it. I don't know. No, yeah, I think I think it stems from probably when you're younger, definitely. And then I think especially being in this industry, it probably doesn't help it um, because you're people have got opinions on you before they've even met you. And that's just going down to the pub. So, yeah, must be. It must be just an accumulation of, of all of that. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of people can buy into it. That people do think you are the character, don't they, I suppose, as well. Which... Mm, yeah, which I, I, I'm far from most of mine. <laughs> like... I've not really, I've not touched touched a drug in my life. So just like everyone thinks that I'm, you know, you know, like those characters that I play. Because I play a lot of, um, quite a lot of deep characters. They seem to be like, you know, single parents or, you know, people that have addiction issues or sort of depression sort of issues or things that have happened to them that really plays a part on them later on. And people do think I am those people, like those sort of people. But it's weird because then they meet me, I, I I'm more of a joker than than a serious person, I think. And just just back to the BAFTA a minute. Just what? How did you? How was that as an experience? That was insane. Like that happened all so quick. I took my sister, and so we had like a weekend there. So just a couple of days in London. My sister went with me. You know, I had Shane, his wife. I had Mark Herbert, Jack Thorne was probably somewhere in the crowd. Who who? tweeted lovely things about me that week and um, the writer I had you know Hannah Wal- uh, Hannah Graham behind me Stephen's wife then I had my sister sat next to me I just had all this great group of people that we were all there together and then when they read my name I thought oh my god I'm gonna have to get up there yeah so that that was a magical experience I kind of was just happy to be there but that's another example I, I felt happy to be there I felt a stranger there I felt like I didn't belong there yeah. And that was ridiculous because I was up for an award and yet I still felt like that. Mm. You know, it's crazy what your mind does, but but I loved it nonetheless. Uh, it was brilliant. And my mum and dad was there as well and my two brothers. So they, they was at the back somewhere. So, yeah, it was a great experience. And I, I hope, I hope, I doubt it, I doubt it, but I really, really hope I get to experience that one more time before I uh, go. Yeah, well, why, why doubt it? I know, I'll put positive vibes out there. <laughs> Why not? Okay, so you, you're from Nottingham. Do you still live there? I've been shuffling around a little bit due to like personal circumstances. But um, yeah, my family home is my base. Uh, and how's the food and drink scene in Nottingham? Nottingham, I've not been for quite a while, but every time I go back, something new's gone, you know, gone up um, as such. So I remember, I don't know if it's in... London and there was one in Bristol and I think it was called like Mod Pizza and it's like a chain that started out but it was like one of the best pizzas I've ever had like you go in and like so I think there's one of them in in Nottingham I know that's not really like a restaurant or anything but I just remember seeing it going oh my god I've had there in a few different places and things so yeah there's a lot there's a lot more happening in Nottingham than there used to be Mm. from what I remember but it's weird because you know because I move around quite a lot with work I get to eat in different places in different cities all the time. So I'm lucky in that sense because I get to try lots of different types of cuisine, I guess. And what, anywhere in particular stick out to you? Or have you got any favourite places that you like to go? I love America. We used to go on like family holidays to uh, Florida all the time. And obviously the steak out there and the lobsters are insane. So that that's a favourite of mine. And they do like these big sub rolls. You know, yeah. if you go into like, um, there's like, it's like a Tesco or Morrison's, it's called um, Publix. 
and they do these massive subs and you can just get, they are stuffed to the rim. Like it, they last me about three days. We all write a name on our own sub, so no one's allowed to eat somebody else's sub. That's how tasty they are. Um, so that, that they're a favourite of mine. And where else? Well, I used to go to Dubai as well when I was younger, and that was the food out there, like the fresh, um, I think it was Ken Han. And that, that was an experience, but I was really, really young then. So um, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've been lucky to kind of go quite, uh, you know, around the world and um, at a young age and try different foods. Yeah. Do you know what? Dubai comes up on this podcast all the time. Either some people really like it and some some people it's just completely not for them at all. Yeah, I've never been. It doesn't appeal to me in the sense I like history and old places. So I don't know. I was there. I'm talking when I was probably about eight, seven, eight. So I was, this was before all the big ones went up and all the pretentiousness was out there. It was before all of that. We, I haven't been for probably about 10 years now. Right. It's probably just. Yeah. So the last time I went, it really put me off. And, I, and I, it was upsetting to me because I loved the place. I loved it there. It's like a little safe haven. But obviously now it's massively commercialized hugely. So that's, we don't really go there anymore, which is a shame. Mm, I just went on social media, the scenes for certain people in Dubai, and it's like, well, I don't know. No, no. See, see, because we were quite young, we only stayed in our resort. And within that resort, there was about five other resorts that you could all get little gondolas to and get little buggies to. So you just kind of stayed confined within that that bit. And plus, to be honest, there wasn't much to go out to because it was obviously quite a long time ago. But yeah, so from a young age, I've been a huge foodie. That, that is my hobby. Going to like taster menus. I just love okay. taster menus. Okay. Love it. So, you, you must have some favourite tasting menus then and some restaurants. I'm yet to do Sat Baines in Nottingham, which is surprising. My dad's been. I'm yet to do that. But um, Glen Purnell, which is Purnell's in Birmingham, I've been there twice. I, look, I, I really enjoy it there. Tommy Banks in Olstead. I took my dad there. For, I think it was for his birthday. Uh, me and my sister took my dad there. That was like a taster menu when you stay like in these little farmhouses that they're all like done up and then the next day you go and have breakfast. That was really nice. This isn't a taster menu, but it is in London. I like, I'm always in there. Um, Flat Iron. Have you heard of it? Yeah, no, yeah. You like that, it. That's a favourite of mine. And then when lockdown happened, they released the um, ingredients for their cream spinach. But now I can actually make it now. Oh, can you? I can, yeah. I've done it about three times. You need a lot of spinach, though, because that stuff yeah, yeah. like wil- wilts into something that's non-existent. Well, it's majority. It's just mainly water, spinach. It is. Yeah. You have to squeeze the water out. You have to do a good job at that as well. Just a little side note. There's, um, I was speaking to a friend of mine who, who runs a restaurant. He, so Sap Baines, a lot of his staff used to work there. I've opened a restaurant called Alchemia. It's in Nottingham. So I think, oh, I, was it in Nottingham? Yeah, I think it just opened just and then might maybe had to shut. Yeah, but that's supposed to be very, very good. Sap Baines is supposed oh. to be great as well because he just won a, he won a green star as well. Then he first sustainable growing. He's got a big greenhouse there. I don't know if you've seen it, but they grow all their own stuff there. He does a lot of game because I keep looking at his menu every now and again to see like kind of when it suits me when to go because some things that I'm, I'm I'm quite weird with meat sometimes and I notice that he does a lot of game so that's why I've been kind of like it's not put me off going but that's why I'm like oh I don't I wouldn't want to go and not try like not feel like I can eat it because I'd feel rude. Why would you not want to eat the game? Just because you know like some meats are quite strong in flavour. Oh, okay. 
and it can be a bit too like taste of the animal. Do you know what I mean? No, well, games like you know that's kind of the, the thing like pigeon, reindeer, all that type of stuff. So what what's your, what's your ideal <clears throat> favorite meal you've ever had? Oh, that's difficult. It's hard. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't answer that at all. Like. I did. Um, I tell you what was a really special experience that I, I, I had. I went to Iceland, yeah. Um, and there's the Blue Lagoon, um, like where everybody goes, like the tourists and everything. And then there's a little sister hotel next to it, which is really quiet, a little bit further away. It's still in walking distance. And I stayed there, but we walked to one of the restaurants. I can't think what it is off the top of my head. There was there was two um, taster menus in two different restaurants, and we did one. And we just sat there and there was this huge window, like like ceiling to floor, must have been about 20 foot. And you could just see the blizzard like hit the window as um, you sat there eating your food and you just felt so cosy and that was amazing. And then there was another one where it was like all, all like dark in there and they did this taster menu for you. And then towards the end, like they got your dessert and they picked all your desserts up in like your red wine and they went and sat you right in front of like all these fire pits that was inside all these fires and you could just see all the blizzard outside and that food was incredible um, oh, is that called? i think that's called lava that's it what's the other one called there's two there's lava and mm. another one uh, moss. moss that was it so moss is the moss is the more prestigious one i think because i booked lava thinking that was the like the taste of menu the very but it wasn't it was yeah. the, the moss that was the better one uh, yeah iceland's one favorite place I've ever been. I think I thought it was like unbelievable. Everything, just the culture, mentally. Some of the in Reykjavik as well. I some of the food I thought was fantastic. Did you have reindeer? See, while you were there? No, I don't think I did. Yeah. I, should I tell you where I ate in Reykjavik? Yeah, definitely. I think right. I saw Hard Rock. Okay. And I went straight in there. Ah. Uh, well, which was bad because I'm sure there's loads of other places that could have gone. Nothing bad about it. Yeah, you have to own that. I think what I have to now. I've said it. Yeah, <laughs> there's no other option, is there? <laughs> um, yeah, but we did find this lovely little like book cafe, and they did lovely little lattes in there. And you could sit and pick a book and read it. That was just. Um, oh, there's been. Oh, there's just so many places I love, like Berlin at Christmas time. Have you ever been to like the Christmas markets? Berlin's and like they do all like the potato crisps. Yeah. Things like that. Oh, I love it. Lockdown sucks. Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, God. When you start talking about it, it, it's weird, isn't it? You start, that just seems like uh, another life almost. It's dead strange. Yeah, thanks, but, Matt. No, I know, but it's this that's great. <laughs> start like normalizing this, and it's like, no, this it is. Seems strange. like a different world. Yeah. yeah. Really weird. You can't even go for, you know, you can't even go for a coffee now, which is fine. Absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean? I've just written a, th- a thing about the, co- the coffee culture now with, you know, going out for walk with coffee. That's coffee shops almost like have become really important to culture now. You know, like mm. a lot of creative things. Like, that's where I met Carl, you know what I mean? And it's like people like to meet there more. I got asked more about our bar, not that our bars and our coffee shops, when are they were reopening? Where you, mm. 10 years ago, it'd be like, when are the bars opening? And it was like, when's the coffee open? I need a coffee just to sit and chat. Yeah. Where like you just people really miss that connectivity, which I do because I don't really drink now, but I drink a lot of coffee. I've got a coffee. How do you like your coffee? I do like always oh, black, black or like a little avocado. A little one of them. Mm. What about you? Strong 
Strong and short. Strong and short, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I want to go long and smooth. Long and smooth. Mm. I like them quite creamy, but like with quite a strong coffee in there. And so where would be the first place you'd, you'd like to go when it's lifted? Have you got a specific place you'd want to go on holiday? I haven't thought about it. I just kind of want, no matter where it is, whether it's down at the local or wh- wherever, to just have all my mates under one roof and just having a drink. Yeah, I, yeah. I would, like, I would like a holiday with a beach and uh, beach and some cocktails. I would, yeah. I do that. Even if they said though, you know, you, you know, you couldn't go abroad. It wouldn't. I mean, I'd like to just, you know, even if it's like the lakes or somewhere like that, and just just somewhere not in this vicinity, I suppose. But. That's it. Like a lot I've been, I've been looking into that. Actually, I, I did book a holiday to Jamaica, but I think I'm going to cancel that now. Bye, holiday. <laughs> have, you, have you been to Jamaica before? I haven't now. No, I haven't. That'd be my first time. Yeah. But I'd love to go there. That, that's probably one, the one on my list. So obviously, <laughs> just back to that sec, do you, do, do you use social media much? Because I find social media can be as bad as the news sometimes, but it's a kind of necessary evil, I think. I'm not very good on it, I'll admit. Like my Twitter, <clears throat> I'm never really on that. Instagram, I use it to post stuff and just see what my friends are doing, but that's about the extent of that. I'm not very internet savvy and like, I don't use it massively to benefit myself or or to read up. It's more like for visuals of interest of mine, like cooking, fashion, like say like hobbies, what my friends are up to or exercising, things like that. I follow all things that benefit my mental state as opposed to anything else that I just think is un- unhealthy. Yeah. And to be honest, I mostly just joke on there. You'll just see loads of gifs and and um, captions of just of just really stupid stuff. I, I, yeah, I find Twitter, Twitter's hard work, I think, really. It's hard for Twitter. It is. it is full of people with, to, if that's how people that want to live their life and they're really opinionated and they are getting into debates and, People are like like debating and clashing and going for it. Is that if you enjoy that, all for like good for you, like that is fine. You live that, but I would just be so stressed to have to feel the energy to do that all the time to get my point across, and just nothing happen with it. It has its place, you know what I mean. It depends how you use it, doesn't it? I think some people like to get the point across and they use it as a platform. Great, but then you got other people they just run at each other, shouting at each mm. other. Would you even do you? You should be doing this face to face, shouldn't you? It's like TripAdvisor for restaurants. It's the same thing. People like this all the time. I'd say, why didn't you just say something in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. Keyboard, like, well, the way. That's it. It's, it's never a positive discussion, is it? It's just not the way we do it. We're always on the attack. We're always on a defence, and that I just that mentality just baffles me and confuses me. So I take myself out of that situation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's points a point scoring thing, isn't it? I'm better than you. I find that there's a lot of that going on. Like, and probably though, in, I think just moving on into mental health a little bit. You know, mentioned before that when you were like 15, you know, there's pressure on young people. I think like one thing that social media does do, Instagram, maybe TikTok stuff like that. I think put a lot of pressure on people, especially like 14, 15. You know, like you've got to look a certain way, got to do this, got to do that. I think you're going to, I think that's why mental health set everywhere at the minute now. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it, it's opened the doors to a lot, uh, a, a huge age range. It's social media to have, it's got like Instagram and like say TikTok, which I, I don't have. 
I mean, I've seen a lot of young kids like glued to it and wanting to be those people that are famous on TikTok and, you know, it, it's just mental. I don't know. I just think we've we've opened another door to another age range of people to give another problem to. Because it is, like, I just don't think that's healthy. I, I was lucky. I grew up in the 90s, so I was outside climbing trees with my brother. I didn't worry about if people were taping me or filming me. And I remember... I think I was, I think I was like a, a family birthday party one time. And um, as you all do, you all have a drink, you're all on a karaoke. And I, I don't like singing in front of people. It's not, a, it's not a thing I like to do. And then all of a sudden my sister was like, have you seen this video? There's a video of you that somebody had filmed in my own family like area <laughs> and put it on my laughing. And so my sister like told them to take it down because I was just like, unbeknownst to me, I was being filmed, which if you say it now, it's like, well, so what? But could you imagine if you was doing that back? Like when I was at school, you had somebody like with a massive tape recorder just following you. You'd be like, what are you doing? Put that down. Yeah. And I was like, I just feel, it's just, it's just really unnerving that somebody can just get their phone out at any point and start filming or like, you know, Does that, worry, weird. Does that worry you a little bit? If you, you know, say, you're, you know, if you are in the public eye in TV or film, does that worry you that that happens? Does it bother you at all? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've been out with friends before that are in the public eye and when it happens to them, I can get my, I get a bit protective of them because I don't think it's fair. As, as well, I don't have children. And one thing that I've noticed is like little kids, every time they're doing something or saying something or doing something funny, straight away they've got this block in front of them and they don't really know what it is yet. And they're being constantly, that, that is all, this phone is always in their face. That's all that they see all the time as a child, if they're being filmed. Because not, you know, it's nice to take the off photo or video or whatever, but like, I, I couldn't imagine be, me being a child, always seeing this thing in my face and not knowing what it is. But now it's so normal. Yeah. And like, even children know how to use phones better than adults. It's crazy. We all have to grow with it to be with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. To coexist to be a part of it so you kind of get pushed with it it's, it's weird I, I prefer not loads of technology but that's just not the way it is yeah, it's, it's it's weird isn't it like what are you saying about oh, my kids they can use one of them can take photos do the lot text scrub and dance mad I, we haven't taught them either it's like mm. we know to use them but the setup so that you know how you can guy who's got a food blog who's on the episode before you on this and he's got basically his whole business is just done online. And then he does recipes for another company. And none of these people have met. I find mad. They've never met. <laughs> they all are Instagram. He, he's like mid-20s. So he doesn't says he doesn't, anyone un, younger than him doesn't remember life without social media now, which I, it's mad. I can remember life without a phone, you know what I mean? So It was so free. <laughs> Do you know what? It's mad though. <laughs> I yeah, think- and like you say, it's just you always see the good of what nobody sees two sides of the coin. It's always just one being shown. And that's not healthy either, you know. It needs regulating, isn't it? It's kind of like like anything, gambling or drinking or whatever. I need regulating at some point. That yeah. Really me, like what, what my kids, how they're going to, what access they've got to stuff and how that's going to affect them. And like there's a thing mm-hmm. on TikTok where you've got a, have you seen it? It's like a headphone challenge basically like girls are getting like headphones and then putting it around the waist and then if the headphones link and they meet it's like amazing so that means so they're like promoting 
to be as thin as he can be. It, it, it was in the news the other day uh, on something, but the, uh, that's just scandalous, like promoting stuff like that and then forcing like dietary pills on people and stuff. That's so sad. It is, isn't it? And even girls will look at themselves and go, I think I'm okay, but then they'll just get one friend doing it that's probably a bit strong, more strong-minded than the others and then the others will follow suit. That's how girl relationship works, like with a group of girls. You'll get other girls being like, well, I think I'm fine. And then one's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing it. And then one, the other will do it. It's just a domino effect. That's scary, isn't it? Who's got, who's just picked up some headphones and gone, yeah. Ridiculous, like, have a look at it. You see, you'd be like, I can't even believe that's a thing. But there's, there's other things on there, but it just it just shouldn't be allowed up. Like, you know, you're going to influence people and, you know, it could that could just set them off for the rest of their life, have a, a phobia over something. Yeah. I've seen you quite involved in some mental health initiatives. What, what is it? Uh, strength in mind? I do, I, yeah, I do. Um, a lot of friends like will ask me and um, I'll read up about the chat because obviously... Young Mind Charity, Mind Charity. There's quite a few that I do support because it is it is massively um, important that everybody says the same thing. Like if we all start talking about it, it becomes more easier. But you'll get some people that just won't talk about it, not at all. They won't speak about it to anybody. They'll kind of just deal with it themselves. And even if they just see see these Instagram posts or they see where to go, even if they just look at it by themselves and they don't necessarily speak out about it, I think that helps a lot as well and I think there's a lot of people anybody can get mental health but from my I can only speak from what I know myself I won't comment on anybody else's lives but you know people people that have even been in the sports industry or the industry that I'm in it's really crazy because you have absolute amazing peaks and then you have absolute dropping light points as well so it is just to go from like right up here then to drop down here and then to, you're just constantly like that there's like no just normal ground and I think that can play a big part in a, a lot of my a lot of my friend of uh, friends have contacted me over lockdown and they're really struggling with it because of that they were riding this great wave and then lockdown hit and it's just that now they're just sat at home they can't get proper jobs because if you get an audition or you get a zoom meeting or you know you can't have the time off work like one of my friends was saying on Facebook like he really struggled he told you know, he was doing like, I don't know, stacking shells. And they, they said he was an actor. They said it was no problem. And then he had a Zoom meeting and he had scripts to read and go through and learn and say so he wanted to pull it. No, they just got rid of it. Like, it's hard to find any other exist, existence if you are in the arts to kind of do both. Struggled with it. Unless I work, you know, for my family or, you know, I, I can't really work. Because at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden I've either got an audition, loads of scripts to read or going to London. Do you know what I mean? So it's can be mentally challenging this job whether it's worth it or not yeah have you done any auditioning or anything like that via like social distancing or zoom or anything have you had to do that um yeah so I've, I've been doing mostly my like some friends will help me do self not now obviously but um, my mum used to help me do self tapes I'm self-isolating with someone now so yeah. they'll help me with it but that can be quite challenging because if you're doing it with a non-actor you start having to direct them, which I feel really bossy doing, but I have to. And then say you're doing an Australian accent or an American accent or a Scouse accent, they start in their own accent and then they start dipping into Australian and then it turns into Indian and then it turns back to... And I'm like, 
well, you've gone into about five different accents there. Like, just do your own accent. Like, well, I can't because I'm hearing yours. So that's quite funny. It's quite testing, but... Yeah, right. How are your accents? Good? Yeah, I think so. Can you do a Scouse accent? I can do a Scouse accent, but it takes me a lot to, like, gear up to it. So, yeah, I think, I think I'm all right at Scouse accent. No, don't tell me to do it because that'll be the next bloody question. <laughs> Setting me up there. No, go on. It's all right. So, okay, cool. So just finally, like, uh, on the, I've asked everyone this, so kind of like, do you have an in-the-weeds moment in your career or life? So do you know in-the-weeds being a, a hospitality term of being in the shit, basically? You know, like you said before, one that may be embarrassing, but then it's kind of pushed you on to bigger things in your life, or it could just be something really stupid that was embarrassing. I can tell you an audition that I did it was embarrassing yeah definitely so I was riding a really good wave at this point and um you know I was meeting with some really good casting directors I won't say what the I nearly said what the project is but if I do then people will know what casting director it was so I won't so I went for an audition and um I just told like I had to do the scenes so I turned up to do the scenes and I didn't realize there was a singing bit in the middle but I just skipped it because I was told that I didn't have to do it so I'd done the scene and then the casting director turned around to me and was like oh, well, you're not going to sing that bit? And I was like, oh, sorry, do, do I have to sing it? And she was like, well, yeah, you know, we need to hear you sing. And I said, oh, sorry, you know, I just told that I had to do the scenes. And she was like, oh, okay, well, can you sing for me now? Please, please, no. And I thought I was, I was starting to sweat. I was starting to get in hot. Honestly, my neck must have been bright red. And she was like, yeah, just sing something. Um, you know, have you got a song? And I, my mind just went blank, right? And I was like, oh. So I said, I haven't really got a song. I said, um, and I just looked up at her and I just went, shall I sing happy birthday? So she was like, sorry. And I was like, well, I don't really, I don't really have a song. Like, shall I just sing happy birthday? And she was like, sat there, like really bemused. And she said, okay. So then I started singing happy birthday. And then I thought, oh my God, who, whose name am I going to sing? So I'm going, getting to the end and I'm like, happy birthday. And I'm trying to like do melodies and stuff in happy birthday. So I, I look an idiot. And then, often, I didn't know who to sing to, so I just went, happy birthday, dear Chanel. And I sang happy birthday to myself in this audition. And she just went, thank you. And I just turned around and walked off. I thought, and I've never seen her since. (laughs) Didn't get the job. And I didn't blame her. I don't blame her. That's embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, just finally, have you got any words of positivity for anyone right now who kind of, what's your message of kind of staying mentally strong? That's a good question because I often ask this myself. I always try and do huge leaps to try and keep positive and that's not always the best thing to like start dieting, stop drinking, get exercise, doing everything at once. I always try to do it all at once and it's just not doable. And then like I just went on a walk one day and it was snowing and I just thought, I just took little things in that was just so pretty. Like I know it sounds ridiculous, but the sky was stunning. The trees looked amazing the snow, like the crunching under your feet. And I just thought it's those little things in life, like just being able to enjoy those little things for now until things get back to normal, just enjoy those little things and just do little random acts of kindness, but to yourself. Like if you like wearing a face mask at night, just do all your hair, get a face mask on or just do little treats for yourself. If you want that bar of chocolate, have it. Little bits at a time. It doesn't have to be mammoth changes. I like that. That's all I've got, Matt, so you're going to have to go with it. All right. Well, listen, um, thanks for your time. I appreciate you doing it. And obviously, I wish you a very busy year moving forward. Thank you.
pray to someone then please <laughs> well thanks for listening again guys really appreciate the support please check out some of the charities mentioned as mental health issues are an all-time high due to this pandemic so you know if you can reach out to whoever please do so and you know above all be kind as as you can see by the episode everyone has their own story and this has affected everyone in some aspect in different ways you know whether it be the tragedy of life business mental health these uh, the knock-on effects for this will be seen for a long time and i think we all need to support each other through that so if you can reach out please do so so guys until next time take care